Okay. All right. Good morning, everyone. We're going to let the kids uh, head on over. And, uh, uh, but while we do that, I want to introduce myself. My name's Joe Collins, and I do want to welcome you here to See Me Church. I'm glad you came out this morning. I hope you enjoyed breakfast. It's great to be here at Lemon Park. We've got, you know, just perfect day, perfect weather. Uh, the softball people left just in time for us so we can have a great time here together. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to uh, the, the, the study of God's Word that we're going to do today. Uh, we are in the middle of a series called Thirst, and we're basically just taking different psalms and, and studying them out throughout the, the series. It kind of coincides with our summer mindset. It's hot, it's thirsty, and the psalms are, are a great opportunity to drink and get refreshed from God's Word. Uh, but before I get started, I do have a little trivia game I want to play with you, and it's audience participation. So I have a couple of statements that I'm going to read, and then I want you to tell me who said the statement. Now, before you answer, though, let me finish the statement, and then you can blurt out your answer, all right? So here we go, our very first <laughs> statement. Who said this? Four score and seven years ago, our father... Did I not say wait until I read the whole thing? Come on now. Four score and seven years ago, our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Who said that? Abraham Lincoln. All right, this one. We're going way back in history for this one. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. I come to bury Caesar, not to praise him. Mark Anthony, that's correct. All right, a little more recent history. Who said this? Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Ronald Reagan. All right, back a little bit in history. The next statement, I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. Patrick Henry, Patrick Henry very good. And then uh, the last one, who said this statement? Who let the dogs out? <laughs> woof, woof. Who let the dogs out? The Baja men, that's exactly right. Very impressive that he knew who sang that song. You know, the thing about all those statements, the reason why I shared them with you is because all those statements from the, the important to the silly had a unifying effect on their audience. Right. I mean, uh, 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 Abraham Lincoln, the Gettysburg Address, those words really uh, uh, solidified the North resolve to, to finish out the, the Civil War through all the, the tragedy. Mark Anthony and his speech at Caesar's funeral really pulled together the, the people who were you know, in opposition to the conspirators that had assassinated Julius Caesar. Ronald Reagan united the entire Western world uh, to, to call on the Soviet Union to bring down the Berlin Wall. Patrick Henry helped, helped concrete the resolve of the, of the revolutionary uh, uh, fighters in the, in the Revolutionary War here in this country. And then even something as silly as the Baja Men, if you've ever been to a sporting event or you're ever, ever at, a, at a, a party dancing and that song comes on, it's like the whole room has to sing the song, right? It just brings everybody together. These are very unifying statements. We're going to be reading Psalms 133 today, and, and it is in many ways as powerful as any one of those statements. It is a unifying psalm. It brought people together. So let's look at Psalm 133 and we'll read it really quickly. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, 
running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Psalm 133 was written by King David. Uh, it was written sometime after his uh, coronation, his appointment as king over all of Israel. David had two great passions, God and his people. Our study today, we're going to look at this unifying statement. It's a short song. It's, it's, four, it's four sentences long. And we're going to take it uh, sentence by sentence, basically, and we're going to draw out of it all the imagery and all, the, all the, the ways in which David tried to bring people together through the use of this song and see how it applies to us today. So before we do that, let's go to God in prayer. Father, we are grateful to be together this morning. We do pray for your blessing to be upon us as we look at your word. Inspire us with the words of King David as they were spoken from him, inspired by you. And help it to be one of our great unifying songs. Helps brings us together as people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So Psalm 133, as I said, was written by King David sometime after he was anointed or, or uh, um, in, uh, coronated as king over Israel. And his two great passions were God and the people of Israel. And both those things came together three times a year in the city of Jerusalem when the people from all over the land of Israel would come to Jerusalem to worship at the temple. And there, the vast majority of the Israelite people would, would gather. The city would swell 5, 10, 15 times its normal size. It would go from a city of thousands to a city of tens of thousands. There would be families uh, filling every nook and cranny in the city, every, every room for rent, every available space was filled. And then, and then those that couldn't get into the city would camp around the city on the hillsides. And they were all there for one reason, one purpose, to worship God together. And I like to imagine King David standing on, in, in maybe in his, in his, in his house, in his, in his uh, 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 home in Jerusalem, and just looking out at that scene of all his fellow countrymen coming there to worship for one reason, one purpose, to, to be together and to worship God. It must have been an incredible scene. You know, King David, the story of his life is, is pretty fascinating. He was a shepherd boy. He was the least of his brothers. He was overlooked by many people. The, the people of Israel at one point de decided they needed a king. They didn't have a king before this. They were a group of 12 tribes, the descendants of, of a man named Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. He had 12 sons. Those 12 sons had their descendants. Those, 12, those descendants became the 12 tribes of Israel. They were enslaved in Egypt. A great leader named Moses led them out of their slavery. They eventually made it to the promised land, the, 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 the land that God had given them as, as their inheritance. Today, it's, it's Israel and Palestine, that area that we call Israel and Palestine. They came into the promised land, and for generations, they lived there, and they, and they, they multiplied, and they, they took control of the land, and they had no king. They had judges. For generations, they had judges. But there came a point in time in their history where the people wanted a king. They wanted to be like every other nation. God warned them, that you know, being a, having a king isn't always the best thing. But nonetheless, they nominated the best, brightest guy they could find, the best looking, sharpest. I mean, he was the guy that on the outside, everyone would have thought he's going to be king. His name was King Saul, but he turned out to be a bad king. He wasn't God's choice for king. Under his reign, things didn't go so well. Eventually, King Saul's reign came to an end, and, and God raised up David 
to be king. And the people, the 12 tribes, nominated him to be king. And for once, for the first time in Israel's history, they had a legitimate king over them. And King David was a good choice because he had two great loves, as I said, God and the people of Israel. Now, what King David did in order to establish the, the kingdom, to really turn these 12 tribes into a functioning nation, was he decided to establish a capital city, and that was the city of Jerusalem. But not just a political capital, he wanted it to be a religious capital, and so he went out and found the Ark of the Covenant. That is the most uh, precious relic to the Jewish people. It was, it was a golden box that housed the Ten Commandments and a few other important items from Israel's history. And it was believed that God's presence was, was uniquely related to the Ark of the Covenant. I mean, God is omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful, right? We, we know this about God. But in a, in a special way, his presence resided there at the Ark of the Covenant. And so for David, it was important to him to put that Ark in a, in a, in a permanent house. For generations, it had been left in a city called Shiloh in a tent. They called it a tabernacle. And people would go there and worship, but eventually people stopped doing that. They just stopped being a priority. When David was coronated king, one of his first acts was to get that ark and to bring it to the city of Jerusalem where he intended to build a temple, a permanent house for it. And there he would, he would unify the people under one government and one uh, uh, temple and, and one place of worship, one seat of government in one city, the city of Jerusalem. David was a great unifier. That was one of his passions. He loved God, he loved people, and he brought everybody together. And, and once he got that, that ark there, he built a temporary structure. He wasn't able to build the permanent structure. His son Solomon did that, and that temple became one of the uh, seven wonders of the ancient world. But David did get it to Jerusalem. He did get a, 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 a temporary structure built around it. And then God ordained that all the Israelites from all over the land would come to Jerusalem three times a year for a festival where they would come together and worship. And that's, that's the image that I believe is in David's mind when he wrote Psalm 133. Perhaps from his, his apartment in the city of Jerusalem as he, as he had on a high place, saw the people coming, coming there to worship God with one purpose. It must have been a, a very uh, special moment for King David. It must have been a very powerful moment for him because he really wanted to bring people together, to unify them, and to turn that, those 12 tribes into one powerful and great nation under one God. He says in the very first sentence, how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Notice those two words he uses. He uses good and pleasant. You know, there's a lot of things that are good, but not necessarily pleasant. And there are a lot of things that are pleasant, but not necessarily good. David says, when the people come together to worship of one mind, of one heart, under one God, that's both good and pleasant. I think of something like kale. We all know kale is good. When I was a kid, kale was a decoration on the plate. Now it's a main dish. But very few of us would say kale is pleasant. We eat it because it's good, not necessarily pleasant. Now, on the other hand, ice cream is really pleasant. I mean, who here doesn't like ice cream? But a lot of ice cream probably isn't all that good. You get my point here. David is saying, look, when, when, when we come together as a people in the city of Jerusalem to worship our God, when we come together, it's both good and pleasant. You know, I believe that's 
what church ought to be. And it's something that we at Simi Church are striving for. We want to create an environment that is both good and pleasant. And our unity, our relatability to one another, our connection with one another has everything to do with making that good and pleasant. If you're here with us today and you're, you're worshiping here this morning, I want to encourage you. You're doing something that the people of God have done for thousands of years, for generations. They've come together. They've gathered together to worship Him. And what you're doing right now, what you're doing this morning is both good and pleasant. Amen. The next thing David says, he says, It is like the precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. So David goes from this statement of things being good and pleasant when people come together to worship God. And then he launches into these two illustrations that for us are very unusual. They they don't really ring true to us. But at the time, if we understand the imagery, I think we'll be able to understand what he was communicating and then it will be able to relate it to ourselves. So when David talks about this oil being poured on Aaron's head and running down over his beard and onto his robes, he's referring to a very important um, moment in 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 the history of the Israelite people. Moses, their first great leader that led them out of slavery in Egypt, had a brother. His brother's name was Aaron. God had appointed Aaron to be a priest. Not just Aaron, but his children and all his offspring. They were set apart to be priests. They were a unique, and they had a unique and special role to serve the the rest of the people of Israel, the rest of the tribes. And at that moment of coronation, at that moment where where, uh, Moses anointed Aaron, he took oil, not just any oil, but a special oil with special fragrances and, and ingredients that made it very precious, very valuable, very unique, and he sprinkled it on all of the furniture in the tabernacle. Remember I talked about that temporary place where where the people could worship God? He went around and sprinkled oil all over, which, which consecrated it, set it apart as unique, as special, as important. And then he took some of that oil and sprinkled it on Aaron's kids. And then he poured it on Aaron's head and just let it run down. And, and the, the imagery of all that communicates something very important. And the, 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 the message is that Aaron and his offspring were important, they were special, they were unique, they were set apart. Now David uses that imagery, that's what comes to his mind as he sees his fellow countrymen journeying from all over the land. Some traveled for days, some traveled for weeks, from all over to come to Jerusalem to worship. That's what came to David's mind. What that says to me is that David understood that the relationship that each Israelite had with each other was unique. It was special. It was important. It was valuable. What does that mean for you and I today? Well, it means that our relationships as believers in Jesus Christ, as fellow believers, we ought to have, and we do have, unique and special qualities in that relationship. There's there's an importance, a value that we have by being brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a there's a, a, a specialness in that, in that relationship. And that's what God's design is. That's what God's plan was for the people of Israel, and it's what His plan is for the church today. He wants us to have relationships that are unique, that are special, that we value above any other relationships or other relationships. 
It was that sense of coming together, that unity, when they all came together for that one purpose to worship God that really highlighted the specialness of their relationships. They really began to see each other as one people, not 12 tribes, but as one family. The second illustration David uses is, the Mount, is Mount Hermon. Now, we don't live in that area, but I'm told I've never been there, but Mount Hermon is in the northern part of the Promised Land, the northern part of Israel. It's a 9,000-foot peak, has snow on it pretty much year-round. Uh, and the weather that's created because of Mount Hermon results in a lot of snowfall and a lot of rain on Mount Hermon, which, which eventually results into the River Jordan. It's the headwater of the River Jordan. Now, the River Jordan runs throughout the promised land and basically feeds the land. Wow. It's what makes it survivable. The interesting thing about this, this analogy that, David, that comes to David's mind is it's actually very similar to the analogy of Aaron. Because if you think about the geography as a body, Mount Hermon would be the head and the rain and the snow that falls on Mount Hermon would eventually trickle down throughout the rest of the land, kind of like the oil trickled down over the body of Aaron. But the imagery... Uh, communicates something a little bit different than that anointing oil. That anointing oil communicated uniqueness or specialness, set-apartness. But this imagery of water on Mount Hermon communicates survivability. Without water, we cannot survive. Without Mount Hermon, the promised land would be a desert. There would be no survival in that land. All the way down to Israel at the, at the bottom of the, uh, at the end of, you know, where, where the waters eventually go down, they go all the way down to Israel, which, which they called um, Mount Zion because Israel sat on a mountain. Israel's survivability depended on the rain and the snow that landed on Mount Hermon. So what's the image that, that David is communicating? What comes to mind? Well, I, I really believe what he's telling the people in, in this song and what he's communicating to you and me is that our relationships are essential to our survival. There's no such thing as, as an isolated Lone Ranger Christian. They're, they're, if there is one, they are starving. They are, they are dehydrated. They are dying of thirst. Because the relationships are essential to survival. And I imagine David there in his, in his apartment looking out over the city of Jerusalem, watching people come. And these are the two things that come to mind. He realizes how unique, how special what they have is. And he also realizes how important, how essential what they have is. Do you think of your fellow believers in Christ as special and essential? Is that what you think of when we come together for worship? Or when we come together at a gathering? Do we look forward to it because, man, this is, these are the people that, that I'm connected to. These are the people that are important to me. These are the people that I, I need in my life. Or do you sometimes fall into that trap of thinking this is an annoyance, this is irritating, I don't really get along with that guy or that person, and you fail to see the specialness and the essentialness of your relationships. You know, I think about what David did, and it's a really fascinating study of leadership and, and of a leader pulling a group of very divided people together. When, when God called him to, and, and it was all led by God, but when God called him to establish Jerusalem and establish the temple and then called the people to come to Jerusalem and, and worship there three times a year, in essence, what, what God was doing was he was unifying the people. He was getting them together so that they could be unified. 
And there's two things that, that they were unified on. There's two basic principles that unified the people of Israel. One was their shared beliefs. The people of Israel in the time of David and throughout history are a unique people. Because unlike most every other culture around them, they believed in only one God. All the way into the, the Christian era, into the Roman era, Christians were being martyred for being atheists. Why? Because they only believed in one God, not all of them. And so they considered them atheists for only having a belief in one God. It's not too different than the way it is today. Although we do have a Christianity very established and, and understood around the world, our world still worships a lot of gods. And people do look at Christians in a weird way. They consider it strange that we have a singular belief in one God. The common thing today is coexist, right? And you see the bumper sticker with all the different various religious symbols that all indicate, well, hey, you know, we're all on the same road. We're all heading the same way. But, but unfortunately, that's actually not the teaching of Christianity. Truth be told, it's not the teaching of any of those other religions on that sticker, by the way. None of them think that everybody else is okay. But we want to try to force that because, I, don't, I actually don't know why, but it seems like we want to try to force that concept. Maybe because we're, we're, we feel like differences are just bad or we're afraid of, of, of uh, uh, people standing on their, on their convictions. I don't know. I don't know the reason why. But that is something that our modern world is struggling with, trying to understand the value of, 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 of a specific doctrine. We as believers, we have a specific doctrine. We believe, like the Jews, in a unique set of principles. And, and, and the Jews in their day had the, the law of Moses, the Ten Commandments, which was very different than any other law code of their day. We as Christians have the words of Jesus Christ, right. which are very different than what most people believe around the world today, and what many people believe around the world today. But it's that, it's that, it's that doctrine, it's that shared belief that, that makes us unique. It makes us special, not only to the world around us, but to each other. We share a unique set of principles and beliefs and ethics. Right. And, and we ought to celebrate that. We ought to, we ought to encourage that. We ought to build each other up for that because that makes us special. That makes us unique. That makes us valuable to the world around us. Jesus put it like this, you're the light of the world. Right. What you believe is a light to a world that is confused by a lot of other beliefs. The second way in which we can develop unity like David wanted to develop in the people of Israel is through shared experience. We have our shared beliefs and we have our shared experiences. Whenever we do something together, Jesus said, Whether two of, whenever two of you or more are together, I am there with you. Right. Whenever we get together, whether it's a gathering, big or small, we are sharing an experience together. Right. Yep. And that shared experience develops unity. It connects us. It knits us together. Just like these three trips a year to Jerusalem for the Israelites helped them to connect and to see themselves as one people, one family, one nation, so our gatherings, our times together, help us be unified. I really appreciate Hunter and Michelle sharing about camp. I mean, that's one of those things. That's an experience that those kids will never forget. Oh, yeah. Things happen there. Connections are made. Friendships are, are, are deepened. Beliefs are solidified at these, in these experiences. 
and we need to share experiences together. Whether it's church on Sunday morning out here in the park, whether it's walking, having a cup of coffee at Coffee Bean, whether it's, it's uh, having a, a, a dinner party in our home, there's shared experiences where we can connect and we can develop our relationships and deepen our friendships. Amen. Because our, our unity, our shared beliefs, and our shared experiences are both special and essential. The next thing David says, For there the Lord bestows His blessing, even life, evermore. You know, we, uh, as part of members of Simi Church, we really want to invite you to, to experience what we experience. To, to learn about our beliefs and to share some experiences with us. We want, we want to add you. <laughs> to our relationship list. We want you to be a part of our, our family circle. Right. And, and you may be asking, well, what do I got to do? I mean, do I need to go to Jerusalem three times a year for that? No, fortunately, we don't need to do that in our day and age. Maybe one time in life. It's, it's worth, I would like to go at least once. That's a good point. But how do we do that? Well, we do it by our, our studying the Bible. That's what we do. We get together, we study the Bible, and, and there we learn about our beliefs, and there we, we share our experiences, and then we, we connect to the larger fellowship and we do things together. It's really that simple. And so if you've never done that before, I want to ask you to ask the person that invited you out and do a Bible study. Start up a Bible study. Get involved into a shared experience with some other people. Learn about what we believe. Learn about what the Bible says. And then... Share some experiences with us and become part of the family. That's what we want. We want to bring people together. We don't want to, bring pe- we don't want to separate. We want to bring people together. Right. Now, David says at the end there, he talks about that there, and, 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 and he men- mentions Mount Zion, which is, was, was another name for the, the, the city of Jerusalem. There, God bestows his blessing. The final thing I want to draw out in this, this little uh, statement of David's, the song of David's, was that, there's a, there's a concept running through the song that, that is really hard for you and I to see. If you have a Bible and you're able to read it, whether it's on your phone or, or you have a, a book Bible in your hand, I want you to notice that there's a couple of words that are, repe- there's words that are repeated or ideas that are repeated in this psalm again and again. The idea of falling down. When, when Moses anointed Aaron and the, the oil fell down or ran down onto his beard and onto his clothes. And then when he talks about the dew of Hermon, falling, the dew falling on Mount Hermon. That, all those terms, running down, falling down, are actually the same Hebrew word. Why in English it got translated as different terms, I don't know. But it's actually the same Hebrew word. It's the word yarad. And it means to descend. And so there's a theme in this song that, that's kind of reoccurring, and it's this, this idea of things descending, coming down. And David at the end says, it's there that the Lord bestows his blessing. When people come together for one reason, to to worship God, when they're unified and they share their beliefs, they share their experience, something special happens. God pours down His blessing. And so you may not feel like you have a very blessed life, but I'm here to tell you the fact that you're here with us today right now, sharing this time together, is a you are being blessed by God. God is blessing you at this moment. And whenever believers come together or want to be believers come together and they 
they share their beliefs or they share an experience, God's blessing is there. It comes down from heaven and is given to you and I. I want nothing more than for you to experience that on a, on a regular basis. I think if David could, he would have asked everybody to come every week to Jerusalem to worship because he saw the, the getting together and that, that purposeful time together to worship God is so valuable and so important. Well, we are blessed that we can do that every week on Sunday, that we actually get to do that. We don't have to wait three times a year. We get to come together every week. And you know what's great about it? It doesn't take two or three days to get here. It takes two or three minutes or maybe 10 or 20 minutes to get here. And we don't have to walk. We can drive. But I think all too often, we look at that as a burden. We sometimes get into that mode of complaining about it and we don't make it our priority and it's not that important. And and unfortunately, we are missing the point and we're missing the blessing that comes when we come together. I want nothing more for you and I than than to come together and get the blessing of God. To experience that, that, that what David called good and pleasant. And so hopefully you'll come back again and again that this, you'll make this time in, in, in your schedule a priority. You'll put it on your calendar and you'll make, it, you'll make it important for you to come and to be together every Sunday. And, and whenever we have gatherings, we also have a midweek service. We get together on Wednesday night. We also do other things during the week. I understand you can't do everything all the time, but, but it doesn't hurt you to do as much as you can. Right. Because there, God bestows his blessing. It's in those meetings. It's in those times together where God is pouring his blessing on you. So if you want to live a blessed life, well, get together more often. Share our beliefs. Share our experiences together more often. You know, I started off and I was talking about sentences that, that are statements that unify and you know, we, we went through a whole series of different statements, and, and, and I really believe that this psalm really became that for the people of Israel. It was a unifying psalm. In fact, it became part of what they call the songs of ascent. It was one of the songs that they sang three times a year, every year when they went to Jerusalem to worship. My hope, my prayer is that this song becomes that familiar to you and I today. That the concepts of, of unity shared beliefs and shared experience become everyday normal concepts for us. They become f- familiar for us. That we can sing this song whenever, uh, you know, as often as it, be- it becomes part of our life. We can sing it whenever we want because we're so familiar with the idea. Right. That's my prayer. At this time, we're going to get ready to take communion. Communion is a time to remember the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I, I think about when I think about Jesus going to the cross is a statement that was made about him. It says, For the joy set before him, he endured the shame of the cross. Jesus was willing to go to the cross because there was a blessing on the other side of it. There was something joyful on the other side of it. And what was that blessing? What was that joy? It was that people would become believers. They would become part of the family of God. Like the Israelites were the family of God under David, Christians, believers in Jesus Christ, are the family of God 
under Jesus Christ. For David, for, 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 uh, for Jesus, that was a joy that he was willing to go to the cross for. It was his pleasure to do that so that we could be together like we are today, worshiping him, for, you know, together for one reason, to worship him. So we have uh, communion cups. If you don't have one, raise your hand. Brian's got some extra over here. But if you have them, at this time what we're going to do, I'm going to say a prayer and then go ahead and open the cup. They're a little tricky. There's a little wafer on top. You, you just kind of have to wiggle with it until you get it out eventually. Uh, you eat the wafer, then open up the cup, drink the juice. Uh, yes, they're a little stale. They, they've been in the box a while, but they're not bad for you. Uh, but the idea is that, that when we take this cup and we take this bread and we take this cup, it's our time to remember the body and the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for us. So I'm going to say a prayer, then we can take our communion together, and then uh, we'll have a moment of meditation, then Phil's going to come, lead us in song, and then we'll be closing out uh, our service this morning. Let's go to God in prayer. Father, thank you for this time to be together. Thank you for the message of King David and the song that he sang so many years ago that, that really celebrated the coming together of believers. And, and that's what we want to be. We want to be people who come together because we believe in you. And we know that that's a special relationship and that's an essential relationship. Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ to die on the cross for us. It's in his name we pray. Amen.